You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. I'm glad you're here, and we're going to continue on in our series of Christ in the Old Testament. We've only got a few more books to go, and we will have gone through all of the Old Testament looking for references of Christ, seeing Christ in the Old Testament. Rhonda, uh, it was at lunch, I think it was last week, said that John Witte, though some of you know who John Witte is, he was a pastor at uh, Emmanuel for uh, uh, many years, I believe, and uh, then he was an adjunct professor at UMHB, and she took Old Testament class under him, and she said that he always said there was a scarlet thread running through the Old Testament. And that, folks, that's what we're looking at. As we're looking at Jesus in the Old Testament, Christ in the Old Testament, we're looking at that scarlet thread that runs through the Old Testament. Because, again, remember, the Old Testament is what the apostles used. That's what they used. They didn't have the New Testament. They were writing that later on. And so they used the Old Testament. And through the Old Testament, they showed people the truth of Christ. And people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the Old Testament is as valid today as it was back then when the apostles were using it. And uh, so we're looking at this. And today, we're going to go through Obadiah. Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is, uh, if you'll turn to Obadiah, verse 15, you go, what chapter? There is but one, okay? There is but one. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Uh, And so there is but one chapter that's in there. And this is going to be another one of those pointless sermons okay so if you're if you're looking for points you're not going to find them in this one it's so short and the way it is it's structured uh where as uh, it will be one of those pointless sermons but uh obadiah is the shortest book in the old testament now the name obadiah means either servant of yahweh or worshiper of yahweh all depends upon one little how one little thing in the hebrew language is done but it's, it's one of those. And if you'll re- when you read the book, again, it's a very short book. Man, I'd encourage you to read it. You can do it in under 30 minutes' time. But uh, when you read it, you'll find that it deals with God's judgment on the nation of Edom for its sins of pride. God's judgment is upon a nation for its sins of pride. And Edom is the nation that descended from Esau. Descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob, right? Remember Jacob and Esau, the story of them and that. So Esau came from Jacob. What nation came from Esau? I'm sorry, Edom came from Esau, and what nation came from Jacob? Israel, okay? So you can kind of see what's going on here. And the two brothers, if you remember the story of them, they maintained a hatred towards one another for many, many years. And and though they seemed to finally make peace, it looks like when you read about them in the Old Testament, they finally made peace. The two resulting nations, the two nations that came from them, continued with feelings of hostility. Uh, In fact, so much so did Edom hate Israel 
that uh, if, you'll, if you go back into Numbers, chapter 20 and verse 21, you'll find that Edom refused to allow Israel passage through their land when they were trying to reach the promised land under the leadership of Moses. So, so, so Israel's leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, and they come to Edom, and Edom were their kin. Edom were their kin. These people were related to the Israelites. They said, we'd like to go through. It's just a shortcut. And they said, nah, no way. We ain't letting you through. You come through and we're going to kill you. And so they had to go around Edom. And, and what Obadiah is saying, and now you know, Obadiah was written years after this, but Obadiah is a, uh, says that God is about to send his wrath against Edom because of their pride. Edom was proud of their national defenses. They were the national defense nation of the year. Man, they had it. They were good. They had strong allies. All their allies were good allies, strong. They had, uh, they had a lot of war power also. Edom also had this superior wisdom. We are smarter than all the other nations around. Look what all we've got. And sounds kind of familiar in some ways. But that pride was demonstrated in their treatment of their brother Israel, if you will. Because, and it was shown when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. When Babylonia attacked Jerusalem, the Edomites stood by on a hill watching. Now they had a choice. They could have grabbed weapons and gone to the defense of the Israelites and helped them out. But instead, what they did, they were, as they were watching, they laughed and they mocked and they encouraged the Babylonians to destroy the place. That's exactly what they did. And when the battle was over, they went into the city themselves to steal and loot anything that was left behind. And then the final display of hatred of Edom towards Israel is, is when they found anybody who had run from the city, any of the Israelite refugees, they captured them and they handed them over to the Babylonians. That's a lot of dislike if you ask me. Well, how did God feel about all of this? That's what we're going to find out in verses 15 through 21. So hopefully you have found Obadiah. And uh, we're looking at 15 through 21. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, so it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. But there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. Uh, the house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossessed them. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire, and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore no survivor will remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who are in Hala and who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephatha, uh, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shephard, 
will possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, but the kingdom will be the Lord's. In these verses, we find Christ. These are the verses in which we find Christ. And notice, if you will, in the first little word in this section, this word for, okay? For the day of the Lord is near. It, it, the Hebrew word translated here as for can also be translated as because. And I actually think that that fits better when you look at the preceding verses. We're not going to read them, but if you were to look at the preceding verses of verses 12 through 14, you find God several times saying, do not, do not. He says, do not gloat over Israel's calamity and misery. Do not mock them on the day of their distress. Do not enter the city taking advantage of their disaster. Do not turn the Israelites over to their enemies. Now this is what they had done. And God is reminding them of that. And, and Obadiah tells the Edomites quite plainly that, that they shouldn't have shown so much hatred and so much animosity toward their brother Israel. And why? They should not have done it. They should not have done it because the day of the Lord is near for all nations. Now, if you think for a moment that God doesn't remember our behavior, we need to think again. God remembers. The, the Edomites practiced hatred towards their brothers for centuries. Centuries. And while they might have thought that they had gotten away with it, God was keeping his record. He was keeping a record of what they had done. And Obadiah is warning them to repent and to ask God for forgiveness. To ask God for mercy. But, would Edom repent? No, they wouldn't do that. Edom wouldn't repent. And, and because they wouldn't repent, Obadiah told them that the day of the Lord was now near for them, but not only for them, but for all nations. Now, theologians consider this to be what is called a split prophecy because it is fulfilled on the nation of Edom, but its complete fulfillment will take place at a time in what I believe is the not-so-distant future. And notice that uh, one of the laws of God that we don't pay much attention to in, in verse 15, as you have done, so it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. You know, we know the golden rule, right? Do unto others as, they, as, as you would have them do unto you, right? But we need to remember this rule as well. Whatever we do to others is brought back to us. James says this, Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is saying and what Obadiah is saying is we are, if we are unmerciful to others, we can expect the same treatment from God. And this doesn't just apply for Edom, but applies to all of us. Because Obadiah said that the day of the Lord was near for some nations, many nations, 
all nations, right? All nations. And in verse 19, we saw a list of some of those nations. Obadiah probably could have expanded this list. In fact, uh, he probably could have included our own nation and every nation that exists today. Folks, the tragedy of a nation is when its people somehow think that they are exempt from the judgments of God. But they're exempt from the judgments of God over what they have poured out on others, of the, of the pain and the suffering they have caused others. Because the day comes when God will judge everyone. Verse 16 goes on to say this, As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and will be as though they had never been. Now, when, when Jerusalem fell, the Edomites entered the city and they began to rejoice. They began to sack the city. Yea, verily, verily, they had a party. I mean, they partied it up, right? Uh, they drank on the God's holy mountain. That means Jerusalem. That's his holy mountain. And then we find something else interesting is that Obadiah says that just as Edom went in and drank on God's holy mountain, all the nations will drink and be as though they had never been. Now, what does that mean? What is Obadiah saying there to us? Well, for that answer, we actually have to go to another Old Testament prophet, and that's in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take this cup of wine of wrath from my hand and make all the nations I am sending to you drink from it. They will drink, stagger, and go out of their minds because of the sword I am sending among you. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink from it, every one the Lord sent to me. Then you are to say to them, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. Drink, get drunk, and vomit. Fall down and never get up again as a result of the sword I am sending upon you. If they refuse to take the cup from you and drink, you are to say to them, this is what the Lord of hosts says, you must drink. Edom, Obadiah says, along with the other nations, is going to drink again. But this time, the cup isn't going to hold wine. The cup will be full of the wrath of God. And if we're to learn, I think, anything from all of this, it ought to be that, that Edom wasn't singled out because of its hatred of God. It wasn't singled out because of its hatred of God's people, Israel. What they are being called out for is their pride. Is their pride. Because, folks, here's the truth. Whatever form pride takes, pride is an insult to God. And God will judge those who refuse to humble themselves because pride causes us to put ourselves above God. It causes us to think we are better than God. In fact, it can make us think we are God. God hates pride. And those who are filled with pride, Obadiah says, they will face the day of the Lord. And it's here that we find Jesus. Because the day of the Lord, remember as we've looked back in some of our other Old Testament uh, uh, 
passages, the day of the Lord points us to Christ. I had somebody ask me, why is the day of the Lord so many times in some of these Old Testament books? It's to get our attention. It's to say, hey, wake up. Something's going to happen. See, the day of the Lord's about Christ and His return to judge all nations. Not some, not most, not many, but all. Just like Obadiah said. It is a clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Since it is righteousness for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to reward the rest of you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation, at the day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength in that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be admired by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. This is what Paul is writing about the day of the Lord. It's the same thing with Obadiah. My tongue got twisted right there. What Obadiah was saying. The day of the Lord is the day when Jesus returns to this earth to execute judgment on all nations. It's a day when He returns to set up His kingdom and to establish righteousness. It's a day when people will see Him not as the Lamb of God, but they'll see Him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah with a rod of iron in His hand. In that day, the nations of the earth will be destroyed and all earthly governments will be put down. Folks, there will no longer be a United States of America. There will no longer be a Russia, a Mexico, a Canada, you just Uganda, you name a nation, they will no longer exist. On that day, all earthly governments will be put down. Nations will cease to exist. In other words, there will be no nations. And what Obadiah and Paul are pointing to here is that day of the Lord. So the nations will be destroyed on the day of the Lord. And through the day of the Lord, Obadiah points to Jesus. But I also want to reiterate what God does, that God does what He says He will do. First, let me say, when you say, well, are people not going to be? No, people will still be. There'll just be no nations. There'll just be earth, right? People living on earth. There'll be no nations. But God always does what he says he will do. Remember I said at the beginning that theologians look at Obadiah as a dual prophecy. A dual prophecy, again, is one that's accomplished in the near future sense, but will also be accomplished in a very future sense. And, it, and as proof of what God is going to do in the far future, if you will, we see it coming to pass what he said is going to happen in the near future. God's wrath was poured out upon Edom. 
Edom was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar marched through Edom to get to the land of Egypt. He come marching through there. Remember, they had laughed at the Israelites and all that. All of a sudden, they weren't laughing too much because Nebuchadnezzar was coming through. And knowing, Nebuchadnezzar knowing that the Edomites were thieving, wicked, lying people, he couldn't leave them alone. He had to do something about them. And so the Babylonians defeated the Edomites, killed off many of them, captured a whole bunch more. But they didn't wipe them out. They weren't completely wiped out. Because we later find in Israel's history, during the time of the Maccabees, that were, there were still Edomites that had to be dealt with. And we also see how they fit into the life of Jesus. During the time of Christ, there were still Edomites living. The most famous ones were known as the Herods. The Herods. Herod the Great, who tried to put to death the infant Jesus, was a descendant of the Edomites. King Herod, who Pilate sent Jesus to see, and remember Jesus refused to answer any of his questions, was a descendant of the Edomites. Basically, you have a face-off between kings, is what you're having. Two earthly kings and one heavenly king. And during the siege of Jerusalem by the Romans in A.D. 70, their name com completely disappears from history. Completely. Edom, which was once a very prosperous, rich nation, today is a barren land. There's nothing there. It's a wasteland. Its people are gone. You can't find an Edomite anywhere. They're gone. They're wiped out. And as God showed what he would do to Edom, so Jesus, who is God, will do to the rest of the nations on that day of the day of the Lord. And folks, the day of the Lord is imminent. It's imminent. And you might say, well, what do I mean by imminent? Uh, theologian James Boyce uh, said this about this passage. He said, we need to understand that the Bible's view of nearness is more than we would intend by the word eminence. That is, the judgment is near in the sense that it can occur at any moment. Eminent means threatening to occur immediately, impending. An eminent event does not necessarily occur immediately, but it could. Therefore, one must be ready for it. So the fact is, folks, God's judgment is imminent, not just for nations, but for all of us. That's why we need to be prepared for that day by knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, because it's only through Him that we will know deliverance from the mighty wrath of God. It's only because of Jesus we will not have to drink the cup of God's wrath. And instead of knowing His wrath on the day of the Lord, we will know His rapture as the church. We're not going to have to deal with His wrath. So in the day of the Lord and His judgment on the nations, we see Jesus. But what happens to Jerusalem and God's people, who is Israel, that points us also to Jesus? We see that also. But there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispose uh, will dis will disposes those who disposed them. I can't say. My, I speak for a living, folks, and I'm stumbling. 
Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire and, and the house of Joseph uh, a burning flame, but the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore, no survivor will remain of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken, saviors, and some of your versions, this is Harlan putting this in, those who have been delivered, some of your versions will say that, which I believe is correct, will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, but the kingdom will be the Lord's. While Edom could only look forward to doom and destruction, what verse 17 says is that there's going to be deliverance on Mount Zion. And that's the poetic name for Jerusalem. And so when is Obadiah talking about this? When is this going to come? What is he talking about? When is this time that God is going to give deliverance to His own people? He, when He's going to bless them and enable them to possess all the land. You know, they haven't done that, right? They really haven't possessed all the land that God has given them, ever. So when is this going to happen? It's going to happen in the time of the millennial reign of Christ. That's what Obadiah is talking to. Those verses point to Christ and His millennial reign. It is the time that follows the day of the Lord when Jesus is going to put down all the unbelieving people and all the nations and exalt His own people and sit on His throne. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the people who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of God's word, uh, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with the Messiah for a thousand years. A thousand years. The millennial reign. There will no longer be nations. The whole earth will be his kingdom. Again, there will not be a United States of America. There will not be a Russia, a China, a Korea, whatever. They no longer exist. Those borders are gone. Uh, that's it. The whole earth is the kingdom of God. And those days will be characterized by true holiness, something that the world has not known since the fall of Adam and Eve because ever since that fall it's just been sinful people being sinful people but in that day the day when God will will bring deliverance when the kingdom will will be the Lord's the Bible says that Christ and rule and reign with righteousness so we see in Obadiah the day of the Lord and we see the millennium and both of those point to Jesus Obadiah shows us Christ in the day of the Lord. Shows us Christ in his rule and reign during the millennium. So the question is, and it's imminent, it's imminent. Why hasn't the Lord returned yet? Why hasn't he returned? You know, I keep saying, man, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Boy, I wish I'd ha it happened today. But you know what, folks? I really don't because there just might be one more person who needs to accept Jesus. I don't want Jesus to come before that person accepts him, although I'd love to have him come, right? Why hasn't the Lord come? Why has he come to judge a nation? It's because our God is so gracious. 
piggybacking on what I just said, every moment he delays his coming is a moment for people and nations to repent. People like you and me. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, God is delaying the ultimate working out of His judgment on, on, on the nations until those who would respond to the gospel in faith would come to Him. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, man, you need to do so today because you don't know when the day of the Lord will be. Oh, the trumpet may not sound, but if your heart stops beating, your day of the Lord has come. Right? And for every one of us, it's imminent. How many of you plan on living forever? Every one of us, it's imminent, right? If you don't know, I mean, this life on earth is temporary. And we meet Jesus. Some will meet Him under judgment. Man, I don't want to meet Him there. And some will meet him as a family member, welcome home. That's where I'm going to meet him at, and I hope you will too. Please don't leave this place without accepting Jesus as your Savior. Just by praying a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm turning my life over to you, and I'm trusting in you for my salvation. From this day forward, I'm living for you. You'll pray that prayer. There's no magic in those words. I say this all the time because I want people to understand that it's whether or not you really mean it. And if you mean it, I promise you, according to God's word, you are saved. And you don't have to worry about the judgment of the day of the Lord. And we invite you during our invitation time, just step out in the aisle and come forward and say, man, I prayed that prayer. We want to celebrate with you. If you're here today and you're a believer, I want to ask you to just pray to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to show, do you have any pride in your life? Is there any pride in your heart that God would not want there? Because we see Obadiah tells us, it shows us that God hates pride. And as believers, we, the only reason we are who we are is because of Him. So we don't need pride. And as you read Obadiah, you'll see one thing clear. God doesn't see things like we do. So don't, don't judge your spiritual condition by what your brother or sister or neighbor or whomever does. But judge your spiritual condition by the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And without doubt, in the small book of Obadiah, we find Christ. Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer. Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, again, please don't leave here without doing that. You don't know when your day will be. I just did a funeral for someone Thursday who had been in perfect health, good health, nothing wrong with them. Got up that day, plans to do great things that day. Go and do things. And they dropped dead of a massive heart attack. Never had a problem before. You see, one does not know when the day of the Lord will come and we will have to give an accounting. 
All I know is this, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll be welcomed as family. But if you don't, you'll hear the words, I never knew you, be gone. You don't want to hear those words. So today, please know Jesus as your Savior. And again, I invite you to come forward. Why do we invite you to come forward? Because Scripture says if you're ashamed of, uh, of Christ before man, He's going to be ashamed of you before the Father in heaven. You've got to step out and live for Him. And why not? what easier place to do it than church with people who love the Lord? So we invite you to come. You may be here today as a believer, and you know there's things in your life that God doesn't like. One of them may be pride. The altar's open if you won't come and kneel and pray. Or if you won't turn around where you'll be standing in a minute, you can kneel there and pray or however you want to. But please, don't leave here without getting those things right with God. You may be here today and you need a church home, a place to join and say, man, I want to be a part of this family as this church does its best in order to uh, share the word of Christ and to to share with not only this community, but the, literally the whole world. We'd love to have you come. You just This invitation's for you also. All I know is God's put something on people's hearts that you need to do. Will you do it for Him? Father God, Lord, I just pray Your Holy Spirit move in this place in a mighty way, that He touch our hearts, that He would speak truth to us, but Lord, our ears are open to hear that truth so that we might do what You have called us to do. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to go through your wrath if we belong to him. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Stand for a hymn of invitation. You come if the Lord leads. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.